Hi, I'm Brianne Bennis, and this is No End in Sight, a podcast about life with chronic illness. First off, I want to send a huge thank you to Miss Meredy, who recently left this heart-bursting review on American iTunes. I consistently find things I can relate to in these interviews. In a way, they help to validate the emotions and experiences I've had on my own very challenging chronic illness journey and help me feel less alone and anomalous. Brienne is a wonderful, grounded interviewer, and much to my own surprise, I have really enjoyed the amount of detail people go into when describing their paths. I'm so grateful this pod exists. Heart emoji. These reviews just, like, completely warm my heart, and I'm so glad to hear that the stories are connecting with people, because I felt really alone when I started this podcast, and that's, like, my main goal is to hopefully help people feel less isolated. So it's great to hear this. Thank you. And second, I have a brief personal update. Basically, I still haven't bounced back to my pre-holiday energy levels, and I don't know why, so I'm back on the doctor circuit right now, and I want to give myself a little preemptive grace by saying that I may be releasing episodes every other week for a while. The transcript for this episode took me a lot longer than usual, and if I stay slow for a while, then I'll also be releasing episodes slowly. I know you guys get it. That's life with chronic illness. Now that that's out of the way, we can get to the episode. This week, I'm talking to Rebecca about her experience living on a college campus with EDS, POTS, and a service dog named Zoe. Rebecca talks a lot about how hard it's been to get professors to honor her accommodation needs, and her story has definitely given me a lot to think about. I certainly think that professors have a tendency to justify this kind of behavior by telling themselves that they're preparing students for the real world, and it's just such bullshit. Anyway, Rebecca also knows a lot about service dogs and service dog training, and that was really cool to hear about. I also want to add a quick content note that this story includes the loss of a parent and implied suicide. There's absolutely nothing graphic, but we do talk about grief and loss in the middle of everything. Before we start, here's my disclaimer. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Make sure you talk to your practitioner about any questions or symptoms. I just like to start with, were you healthy as a kid? Um, so it's like, I, w- I was considered healthy, but then like looking back, we can see some of the things that were happening. Mm-hmm. So I have a diagnosis of EDS, which is Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, mm-hmm. and POTS, uh, along with fibromyalgia, and then what they think is probably mast cells. They're not going to, like, diagnose. Uh, so, like, looking back, I played sports all my life, and there was times where I, like, got injured, and we were, like, it was really weird because I would go from, like, a pain scale of, like, 10 to, like, back down to, like, 5 and playable within a few minutes, and we realize now that it was just, a dislocation, being relocated, and feeling better. So Right. Yeah, that's actually, I'm so interested. So many people that I talk to are like, oh, yeah, I was really into sports as a kid, and weird stuff happened, but it worked at the time. Like, that was yeah functional. Um, and dislocations, definitely. So, okay, so you didn't know what they were then. Is there a time right. when things started to change, like, I so hear you on the, in retrospect, everything looks different, but when did it start to become like, something's not right now? You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So I started having some knee problems like in high school, but like once again, I was like, I've played sports all my life. I've played basketball. I've played softball. Like that's not unusual. But um, freshman year of college, I was playing um, Division three softball, and we found out my knees were dislocating. At the time, we had no clue why or anything, so mm-hmm. we were just kind of taping them to finish the season and stuff, and it was just like, by the end of the season, I was like, I got to get surgery to fix this. I can't play like this. They were dislocating multiple times a day, and um, so we went to... I play softball on the other side of Ohio, but then I live in Cincinnati. So we went to doctor back here in Cincinnati over the summer and we were discussing my options. They're like, yeah, we can bridge your knees to help them like not dislocate. And then I don't know what caused the doctor to ask, but she was like, um, are you like flexible? And I was like, yeah, I think so. Like, and she's like, can we run a few tests on you? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, I'm a pretty easy patient, like, and she was like, can you touch your thumb to your wrist? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, and I did it, and she was like, okay, that's one point, point." and I was like, the competitive side of me was like, oh, we're earning points now, let's go. Yeah, <laughs> how flexible and, am I? <laughs> yeah, and so she's like, do your other thumb, and I did that, and then she asked me to do my pinkies, and they ended up taking pictures of how far my pinkies moved, because no one else's have moved that far, I guess, mm-hmm. um, so I got four points that way. Hyperextension of the elbows is another two. Hyperextension of the knees. And then the last test is if you're standing with your feet flat and your knees not bent, can you put your palms flat on the floor? And I mm-hmm. can do that and go, you just earned a nine out of nine on the scale of, we're pretty sure you have EDS. And I was like, oh, so the points were not a good thing. Yeah. It wasn't like, how healthy are you? Right. And so they decided not to go ahead with the surgery because they were like there's other problems going on um and we scheduled with a geneticist but they can't couldn't get me in for like seven months or something Mm -hmm. so I was still playing softball that summer just for my travel team at home and it got to the point one day I couldn't stand on the field without crying because I was in so much pain so my mom took me to the ER and she was like we we gotta do something for it like I can't watch this um and the ER said they couldn't do anything, but they recommend trying to get into a rheumatologist instead of geneticist because they can also diagnose it. And so I ended up getting into a rheumatologist, and she diagnosed me. Um, and I went into PT and OT for about a year to see, like, how much it improved and stuff. They were hoping that would help with my knee pain, just strengthening and whatnot. And I kept telling, oh, no, my knees still really hurt. Like, something's not okay. And so... They ran more tests. They're like, there's nothing foreign. Your meniscus is fine. Um, I kept telling them, I'm like, no, like, you got to keep looking. Something's not okay. Yeah, something's not fine. They finally realized that my femur was rotated 40 degrees in and my tibia was rotated 40 degrees out. So I had 80 degrees of torque on my knee. That's a lot of torque. I feel like Uh, uh, just thinking about it. So um, they gave me, I don't want to say experimental surgery, but not something they do very frequently, and they couldn't guarantee that it would help. Mm -hmm. But the surgery was them breaking my femur and my tibia and realigning them. And yeah, they were like, so you gotta like really consider what the, and I was like, well, I feel like straightening my leg isn't gonna hurt anything, and I can't live with what I'm dealing with right now. So I Mm -hmm. opted to do it, and they did my right leg first, and that was in December 
December. So two years ago. Okay. Like um, 2016. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I know about math. <laughs> and um, the surgery went well. I mean, I came to and I was having an allergic reaction to something. They still don't know what. I have it every time I have surgery. Um, but it's nothing bad. It's just like a rash and itchiness. But mm-hmm. like, like flushing. when you're yeah, barely conscious because of drugs and you itch, that's the worst feeling on the earth. Is it like <laughs> your only sensation? Yes. And yeah. they kept they're like, it's okay. Don't itch. It's all right. We'll figure it. And I was like, no, like you need to figure this out now. Like I can't even like focus on anything. And they're like trying to ask me about my pain. I'm like, I'm not in any pain. I just, I just itch, please. Yeah. Um, and so they, the first thing they do like after surgery is they have you transferred to a chair on your own, um, like on one leg, obviously, yeah. and sit there for like an hour, just your first round of PT basically and I was like okay no problem I did it and I was having lunch on the way and I was like it'll be fine like I'll just eat my lunch then I'll like finish my movie and go back to bed and I was there for about 15 minutes and all of a sudden I was like mom I gotta get back in bed I gotta get back in bed now and my mom's an occupational therapist so I was like she asked, do you want me to get the PT? And I was like, no, you. Like, I need to move now. Yeah. And so she tried to help move me. And I was like, no, this isn't working. I don't know what's wrong, but it's not working. So she called the PT. And she tried. And I was like, no, it's not working. Like, you guys can't move me. This hurts so bad. And um, so they ended up calling the lift team, which would have been fine, except the lift ended right on my brake. So when they lifted me, all of my weight went through like... my brake my leg. Ugh. So, like, there's a bar that holds the lift. So I just, like, physically pulled myself up on that bar until they got me over to the bed. Um, So then I was in a wheelchair for the next semester on campus, which I go to a really small campus that is very hilly and has brick um, roads all throughout. Uh, That would be so hard. Yeah, not very fun in a wheelchair. And I'm also a biochem major, which, like, the sciences are like the least accommodating yeah like just being in a lab I would think having to do lab stuff yeah so we actually didn't have any handicapped lab benches so I was at eye level with our benches mm-hmm. all through an entire semester so I would have to like hang my materials off the bench to do it and then like put them back up there yeah I can tell you I got an arm workout in that semester yeah I bet I bet and how like that one, I have not used a wheelchair often, and I went to a small school, and, like, it has railroad tracks through the middle, and I oh used I, only very, very briefly, so I have, like, no idea what it would be like, but I had surgery on my foot and used a wheelchair literally for a weekend before I was able to switch to crutches, and it was just, like, the accessible housing was on the opposite side of the railroad tracks from any of the class buildings, it was just like, yeah. okay, cool. Thank you. I understand that when you built this, you didn't think about it. But like I heard recently, the ADA is about to turn 30. So it's time. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. And I actually had an issue with that. We recently just got um, a new office on campus for diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. And I went to their meeting and they never once mentioned those with disabilities. And mm-hmm. I was like, you guys were the most underrepresented minority there is. Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, we do. But we were afraid to, like, touch that subject. And I was like. That's not better. 
<laughs> um, like, we're not contagious. I don't know why you're afraid. Yeah. And so I, like, sat down with them, and they were like, yeah, yeah, like, we hear what you're saying, but, like, the college is grandfathered, so, like, we don't have to put elevators in. And I was like, I'm not trying to be rude, but, like, you know when this was built, black people weren't allowed to come here, right? Yeah. But like, that's changed. Why can't me being able to get into buildings change also? Like being, yeah, like grandfathering in bad policies, or not even policy, but like practice, I guess, isn't really an excuse. And you don't necessarily have to install an elevator. Like there are other ways to right. create accessibility, like moving things or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I had just gotten back on campus and I got an email from financial aid and they were like, we need you to come in. And it's in a building without an elevator and it has 17 steps up to the front door. No. And I was like, "Um, I'm in a wheelchair. Can you meet me somewhere else? Like, and they were like, no, like you have to come here. And I was like, I don't think you understand. Like I'm in a wheelchair. I have a broken leg. Like I cannot get up those stairs. Yeah. And they were like, like you really need to come in here. And I was like, okay, well, I had, at the time, my boyfriend was on the basketball team, and he had class, so he just texted his entire basketball team, and he's like, who's free right now? Yeah. And uh, so luckily, it was someone I like really knew. I worked for the basketball team, so it wasn't like I wouldn't have known any of them, but right. uh, he shows up, and he's like, what am I going to do? Because he's like smaller than me, and I'm like, I can get up the stairs by myself if you can just get my wheelchair up there. Anyways, I get into this building finally, and they just had to have me sign a paper. And you're like, that did not have to happen there. <laughs> There, I was so mad. There is literally no reason that that had to happen there. That, I would have, oh my God, I would have lost my shit. <laughs> I think I was just so tired from, you know, like, yeah. climbing up steps with one leg to, like, even process, like, did you really just do that to me? Yeah. And I think, like, it's one of the things in this, like, chronic illness disability overlap space that's really hard is that like advocacy is obviously so important but when you're dealing with like low energy and pain all the time you're like someone else needs to be an advocate right now because I'm just trying to fucking live my life and that's okay like it's totally valid but you can see this stuff and you're like can't wait till one day when I have the energy to yell about it because it matters And I've, like, this year, I've really committed myself. I was like, you've seen problems, and, like, yes, it's not going to get fixed for you, but, like, you don't want anyone else to have to deal with it. Because I love my school. Like, I 100%, like, still am, like, in love with my school, but there's just so many policies and politics and little things that could just make it so much better. Mm -hmm. So I've met with, like, safety services. I've met with the fire department. I've met with our president and, Mm -hmm. like, gave him a list of stuff that's wrong and, um... Well, I did. I met with our president last year before we left, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah." Took all this down. I was like really excited to get back on campus to see what had been fixed. We got a new football field and a new soccer field, but none of my requests had been fixed. Yeah. So I was a little bit upset about that. Yeah. Um, And I met with him again. Um, Well, I ended up. I have. I meet with disability services all the time, but I met with her, and she was like, "Well, they can't say no to me." So I gave her a list of stuff. Yeah. And so a lot of, because a lot of buttons on campus didn't work, handicap buttons. Oh. And one time I brought it up to safety services. They were like, you just have to hit it really hard. Which is and like, like also an accessibility issue. <laughs> yeah. I was like, um, I have a illness that if I hit something really hard, I will dislocate my wrist. And they were like, 
huh and then just never fixed it and yeah. i was like okay um or like we the they now have a lift into the financial aid building which is great like i'm happy we have that mm-hmm. but you can't access it by yourself if you need the lift you have to call somebody to come out and unlock the lift and i'm like I can press a button. It's just like an elevator to like get me up there. And I was like, accessible by definition is me doing it by myself. Right. So, um, I mean, our, our campus place is really helpful because like there was no way I was going to be able to wheel myself around campus. Um, so they had my class schedule and I would call them and they'd come pick me up and take me to class and stuff. But like, sometimes you just want to be able to take yourself to class and like, (laughs) yeah, 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 totally. And so, and like for you specifically, because it sounds like at this point, the wheelchair was related to, um, you were using it as you healed from the surgery, but I know lots of people with EDS use mobility aids on and off all the time because it helps. And there's days, there's days I definitely should use them and like, I'm just still like not the mental Mm -hmm. space that I can like do that and not have people be like well, why'd you use it yesterday and not today? And like, right. like I'm really working to get to that point, but it takes a lot to go from like a healthy 18 year old with who's playing sports to like, I need a wheelchair some days because I can't get out of bed. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a learning curve. Definitely. Um, like luckily Michael, my boyfriend, he's, he's my rock. Um, like he'll help me put my shoes on some days. He'll help me get to the bathroom some days because you don't get like, some days it's not easy. Right. Uh, he put his first rib back in place for me the other day. He was, It was so funny because he's very much, he's not like, he doesn't like stuff like that. So like when I pop and stuff, it freaks him out. Yeah. So I was like, well, I can't do this by myself. And he was like, all right, all right. Tell me what to How do. How do I do it? And I told him and he started dancing when he did it. He was so proud of himself. <laughs> there you go. You got <laughs> this. The dark side. Just a light popping a joint back into place. No problem. It's easy. Um, that's awesome. And so, so you're still in school right now, right? Yeah, I actually <laughs> just um, got the news I have to stay an extra year. Oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah, I, um, like I said, I'm a biochem major, and we have the option to do a bio or a chem capstone, and a lot of my, like, um, what I wanted to do was more on the chem side. I do a chem capstone. We start that three semesters before we graduate. And they ended up medically withdrawing me from the first semester because all of our classes are discussion-based. So when I have accommodations that day, I'm not going to make class. They just don't accept that. Oh. They say... Like there's no way to work around it in their model. Yeah. Exactly. So um, just when I miss class, like I just got a zero for the day so that really set me behind mm-hmm. and then this semester was my second semester of it they let me go ahead and do the second semester and I was just going to do the first semester along with the third semester um, so that I could graduate on time and I had a B in the class at midterm and right when we got back after a break I had a kidney stone mm which really set me back um, because I never, they still are not 100% sure I passed the stone. Um, after three weeks, I was still having symptoms um, and they actually thought I had an infected kidney. So I was missing quite a bit of class. Because, yeah, and that's painful. Um, yeah. 
And so I was talking to disability services the whole time, keeping them updated, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I was having a hard time talking to my professors because I was constantly getting emails like, why didn't you turn this in? We gave you an extra week to do it. And I'm like, okay, but I didn't heal in a week. Like, Yeah. I can't like actually the, predict the timeline for this. Exactly. So um, I was still, I was, I was staying up for three weeks on end. I stayed up till 5 a.m. doing homework, trying to catch up, which didn't help me heal because I was sitting there like not getting sleep. Yeah. Sleep's important. But, <laughs> yeah. I was working so hard to get caught up. And right before Thanksgiving break, I met with my, we have lots of capstone professors, but the person in charge of capstone. And I was like, um, is you just sent out a thing about picture days that required for capstone. Like, am I going to lose points if I'm not there? Like I already planned on going home today. And he was like, no, no, it's fine. I was like, okay. Um, and I get back on campus and everyone's, we have presentations twice a uh, semester. And my first presentation, I was week one. There's eight of us. There's four people who present a day. So logically I was like, okay, I'm week two next presentation. Which I said, I admit, I probably shouldn't have assumed that. But the other reason I assumed it is because I was never signed an article to present on. Mm-hmm. And um, just, I was like, had this really bad feeling. I checked my syllabus and I presented week one. So I emailed my professor and I was like, look, um, you never assigned me an article. So I don't know how you expect me to present tomorrow. And they were like, oh, we assumed you dropped the class. Cool, cool. And I was like, uh, well, I didn't. Um can you send me an article and I'll stay up all night getting ready to present it? And they were like, no, you didn't meet with us 48 hours ahead of time. So you're not allowed to present. And if you don't present, you automatically fail. Cool. Cool. I was like, so because you assumed I dropped the class, I'm not allowed to present. And and apparently, yeah. Or like get an alternate option. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, yep, pretty much. And I was like, (laughs) and they said things like, um, we warned you your health would be a problem. And I was like, um, I'm oh. pretty sure that screams lawsuit right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I've like, I've been working with disability specialists as long as I've like been diagnosed and everything. And she's like, I have a really hard time forcing these accommodations because I can't alter the class. Right. But I've offered solutions. Like they were like, well, if you can't be in class, can you Skype in? And I was like, yeah, if it's a mobility issue day. But if it's me throwing up in the bathroom or being unconscious kind of day. No, not really. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I offered, I was like, I can meet with you one-on-one and have the discussion. I was like, and that's a lot more difficult than me discussing with my peers, like discussing with someone who's supposed to know the information, like enough to teach it. Mm-hmm. And they were like, no, no, we really wanted to be with your peers. I said, okay, can you record the class? And then I will do a dialogue along with the class, like in text format. And they were like, no, we want it to be impromptu. And I was like, listen, I'm trying to like meet you in the middle here yeah, and you're, you're not given any, uh, way, but so I ended up just not worrying about the class. Like they said, there was no way I was going to pass it. I was like, okay, like might as well focus on my other classes. Right. Um, like the amount of headspace that that will take obsessing over isn't worth it right now. Exactly. And so I got my final grade and I saw that I had an F in my capstone class. And I said, um, why is that not a medical withdrawal? Yeah. And that's the one where they assume that you dropped it anyway. Like they're treating you like you have withdrawn from the class. Exactly. And they were like, uh, so I emailed disability specialist because like it got to the point with these professors, I was scared to walk into our science building, which is ridiculous. Like Mm -hmm. I was missing other classes and stuff because of it, because they said things like, 
well, we see you on campus. We see you walking around. We don't understand why you can't get your homework done. We see you at work. And so it got to the point where I was afraid to do those other things because yeah. they might see me and make those judgments. Yeah. Um, it's like you ha- it's and people talk about this in so many different contexts, but it's like you have to perform being ill all the time or people don't believe you, which exactly. is a huge awareness problem around most chronic illness. But it's like it doesn't work that way. You're not. I mean, some people are, but you aren't necessarily sick in bed 24-7. Sometimes you have good days. Sometimes you are pushing through it anyway because you want to live your life. Like, so much happens, but you can't choose when you feel bad. Exactly. And especially, like, on campus. I'm like, yeah, you see me around campus. I live here. I have to go get food still. Like, I leave my room when I can. (laughs) And so, and it ended up that I had to appeal this grade through academic standards committee. That was the only way I could ever change a final grade. And um, I did. I wrote a letter. Disability specialist actually went in and appealed my case for me. She said she gave several reasons why it should be a W and stated that, like, it was because of my medical circumstances that I couldn't control that I was not able to perform in the class. And I just got the letter yesterday saying that they denied my appeal. That is so frustrating. And so I sent disability specialist an email again. I said, is there anything I can do? And she said, no, this is final. And she said, I don't understand because I went in myself. And But apparently that's not enough. I was like, so why do we have a disability specialist if you're just going to ignore? Right. So um, I'm actually thinking about meeting with the president again and just being like, listen, these are the things I've had happen. And I love your campus. And you've asked me before why you don't have more people with disabilities on campus this is why yeah because it's just not accessible in any way yeah and like the very specific circumstance of like we assumed that you withdrew so we didn't give you something you needed to succeed and then when you asked us about it we wouldn't give it to you so now you're failing like it's a double bind there like and obviously that's I'm sure there's so much more kind of circling especially in that larger conversation but like yeah of course this isn't working. And I wonder, because I talk about this with people about like work um, and career stuff. And I just wonder, like, you did just describe a lot of workarounds, but what are the the ways that this could work for people? Like, what would be your ideal class setup? Honestly, now it would probably have to be online, just like where my health is, just because mm-hmm. people don't understand that it's very random. Like, yeah. it's not like, I know on Tuesday at this time, I'm going to be sick. So I actually had a professor. I went in. I show my accommodations every time I have class. Mm-hmm. And um, I tell them, like, this is what it is. This is reality. I'm hoping I'm not going to miss what the reality is. I'm probably going to. Mm-hmm. And he was really on board. He was really on board with me all semester. He was doing great. And then I was studying for my final exam. I had, like, a high C in the class. And I was like, oh, there's actually a chance I'll end up with a B in this class. It's pretty exciting. Um and I was just like looking over my grades and I see this little note next to my final exam score that like hadn't been entered yet. It said, you've, you've missed 13 classes, that's 10 unexcused absences, um, automatic minus 40 points on the exam. And you're like, what, what constitutes was, excused versus unexcused when you come in at the beginning with right. that information? And I was just like, freaking out because I was like okay so I've gone from like maybe I can get a B in this class to like if I miss more than 10 points I have a D in this class I was like that's ridiculous yeah 
And so I emailed my disability specialist, and she was like, yeah, I'm going to figure this out for you. Because, like, this is one of the things we talk about every year. And, then like, that's what's been so frustrating for me and her is every semester we, we sit down and show our accommodation. Every semester we have teachers sign it and agree to it. And then every semester we have this issue of, well, she missed more classes than I expected. Yeah. And, you're like... and I'm like, well, sorry. It was more than I expected, too. And so he was like, well, I'm just kind of tired of accommodating to her. That's not a thing. It's not up to you about like if you agree to work, first of all, like in a place that is actually obligated to provide accommodations, then it doesn't matter if it's work for you. And sure, it would be nice if it was like really easy because we had designed them that way the first time. But the problem is that we didn't. Like, yeah, we didn't design like, things to be accommodating. Is, I was like, I'm sorry, how much work is it for you to not take away points from me? Yeah. I'm confused. Is that an actual, a lot of work that I didn't know about? You not taking points away from me? That, that takes a lot of your time? I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, what is it? It's just, like, vindictive. That would feel vindictive. You're like, you're mad that I didn't yeah. come to class, and that's fine, but <laughs> you knew. That's why we had this Yeah, setup. and that's. And that's like a couple years ago, we had the problem of teachers were like, well, I want a doctor's note. And my disability specialist was like, she can't go to the ER every time she has a dislocation. That would be thousands and thousands of dollars. Right. I was like, she's trained to put her own joints back in place. But like, yeah, if she has a dislocated knee, she's not coming to class. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. Um, like they didn't understand that for so long. I actually had... Um, um, I passed out the night before while studying for a a midterm, I guess it was, literally on top of my friend. Mm -hmm. And um, I just never really recovered from it. Like, I was pumping, I was, like, drinking lots of fluids, lots of salt, everything I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And I got up that next morning, and I just, like, I could barely stand. So I emailed my professor, told her what was going on, told her I was going to get an IV. They couldn't get me in until the evening, whatever. Um, But... I had, they blew two veins and they stuck me six times. Yeah. But like I had pictures because our health and wellness does not give excuse absences no matter what. So I took pictures of everything and um, I brought them in and I was like, is this enough? I showed her my like busted veins and everything. Is this enough? And she goes, no, you can't retake the exam. It's like, who, why are you like, who is this for? When you're like you're saying, it's not really extra work. I mean, maybe like someone has to proctor or oversee the exam, but they're not like there's yeah. not m- more to it. Or I mean, I know like with retaking exams, I guess they're worried about people knowing the questions in advance because other people have taken it. But even then, like it's just not. Yeah. Yes, that sounds extremely frustrating. <laughs> yeah, and so it's just like I sit down with my disability specialist, and I'll come up there and just sobbing. Yeah, and she's like, she's like, you've earned this. Like, it's just so bad that you have to fight every single day to earn a degree that you worked harder for than anybody else on campus. Right. It's not like and you're I'm not like, trying to learn this content. Yeah, I'm like the fact that I'm keeping up. I actually was passing biochemistry with missing probably half the classes this year mm-hmm. until the final. Like, just I'm not a good tester. The final exam went bad. I ended up failing it, but I wasn't mad about that. Because um, this professor has worked with me the entire time, and it actually 
when she's one of my capstone professors also and when the capstone thing all started going down they were all all the other professors were like it's not us that's upset it's really it's really dr parson she's really upset she doesn't understand i was like that's really weird she hasn't said a single thing to me and i have another class with her like you would think she would say something and uh then at one point i was like asking her about something and she answered and i just never like emailed her back and she came to class and she was like are we okay like I really didn't mean to upset you like I just didn't really see any other options so I was like no no like we're good I just like totally forgot to email you back and just like say that was good and she was like I thought you were mad at me like I really don't want that and I was like yeah, yeah she's the one who's mad you're right like, yeah she's the only human in this situation apparently yeah. and I'm like so how are you about to throw like another teacher under the bus just because you don't want to take the blame of like not wanting to be accommodating mm-hmm. so it's been so frustrating and especially I have recently decided to open my own business of training service dogs and I was like you know it'd be really cool to get a program started on campus where students could foster these service dogs in training um it would help bring awareness on campus of like what service dogs are what chronic illnesses are um it would help me out because I wouldn't have to have like eight dogs in my house when I graduate um, so I started working on that this semester, and it was going really well. Um, I actually had the program of proposal approved by housing and then by um, someone else, and then I had to meet with um, someone above all of them, and he took like four weeks to get back to me, and the idea was I was going to be starting it this semester at the beginning of the semester. And it was getting toward the end of the semester. And I was like, listen, like, I really want to start this this semester. Like, one of the things you said you guys were concerned about was, like, getting into somebody else's schedule. Like, once they've established a routine, I was like, so the longer you take, the longer I'm going to get into somebody else's routine. And so he was like, well, they ended up, like, he's like, okay, yeah, like, I'll bring this to the cabinet after they had an hour discussion with me about it. And so then I emailed yesterday and was like, hey, like, has there been any progress on this? And they were like, oh, no, we haven't sent it in anywhere. You're like, thank you. Great. So you're just going like, to so hope I've, that I forget. Yeah, I'm like, I've been putting in lots of work to, like, meet what you guys wanted from me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and she's, she, I pull my hair when I get anxious. So when I mess with my earbuds, she thinks I'm going to pull my hair. So she's alerting to it. Yeah. You're like, don't worry, I'm just worked up in a normal way. <laughs> it's yeah. explained. And uh, so I'm like, what do you want me to do? Because I actually had a client lined up who was supposed to bring their dog from Florida up to here for me to train. And I'm like, now I have to deny someone their service dog because you just don't want to put work in for me. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the idea of the school is like you preparing me for my career? Yeah. Yeah. Like I have a, uh, a like tangible thing that I want to build. And I would like yeah, support. And, yeah. And I was like, and it's going to, you know, it's going to bring a lot of awareness on campus. And like the first guy, uh, person I talked to, he was very on board with it because he's been struggling a lot with like um, our current ESA service dog policy is from 2011. And he's like, it needs a lot of updates. And so like we've been working hand in hand and like getting those updates and making sure that everyone's rights are protected, but also people aren't taking advantage of it and stuff. Right. Um, so he's like, I think this is great that, like, 
there'll be more dogs on campus that people can actually like understand and talk to people about and whatnot. And I was like, I'll make presentations for you on the idea on like what you can and can't do and stuff. And so he was like all on board and then it just like stopped as soon as it hit the next individual. And I'm like, I have one thing that's keeping me going at this school. And of course you don't want to be supportive of that. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds also super frustrating. Yeah, I think this, like, now I want to think so much more and ask so much more about, like, the way that chronic illnesses and disability work within institutions like this. I know my alma mater, my old college, they just recently got somebody in to handle, like, disability. I assume there's been somebody for a long time, but I think they expanded the position or something, and now they're just, like, completely overwhelmed. And it's a small college. I want to say it's 1,600 people. Yeah, we're only 1,200. Yeah, so it's, like, at that scale, and they're totally overwhelmed because, I mean, I think a part of it is a lack of awareness. Like, my understanding is that some of it is it's, like, people who have, like, mental health stuff going on and are asking for accommodations, and there just isn't a lot of precedent for how this all works. And Mm -hmm. I think that kind of sounds like what you're running into, too, um, differently, is it's, like, professors who have been teaching maybe for, you know, 50 years or something, like... And they're like, well, I've never had to do this before, so you must be taking advantage of me. They're like, right, exactly. Okay, well, maybe, but don't you think this would be a weird way to do that? Like, yeah. I'm like, when I'm sending you ER visits all the time, don't you think, like, that's not enjoyable for me to just go to the ER? Like, yeah. And it's one thing, like, I know, I remember from being in college, like, certainly, I'm sure professors get a lot of emails about fake grandparent deaths, right? Like, people are like, oh, my grandparent just died, and they didn't, and it's because they want to turn a paper in late. So I understand why there would be, like, a baseline level of skepticism, but when you're like, I am fully immersed in this system, I have advocates that I'm working with, (laughs) I'm talking to people. She's pressing buttons. Oh. (laughs) She just wants to get in there. It's okay. It's yeah. okay. And it's, it's been so difficult because one of the individ, like, individual professors that's been giving me a hard time is actually my academic advisor. Oh, and it's someone that should be on your team. Right. And yeah. it's really hard because um, let me just give you a quick rundown of my college career. I, you know, came in healthy as a 17-year-old. I started at age 17. Yeah, um, me too playing softball and I just like had my birthday in September my dad came to watch me play it was great we were having a good time um and my mom mentioned you know your dad's really struggling and my dad and you never met him but he's he's a ex-marine but he's just so full of life like he would give the shirt off his back for anybody just full of life smiling all the time everything and I was like my dad like okay um but coming up to see you really helps and he loves talking to you so maybe give him some extra phone calls this week or whatever um the next thursday i was feeling really really sick um i made it to my first class but then after that i ended up going to health and wellness and they thought it was early signs of flu they would have me come back in 48 hours if it wasn't better and um so i went back to my room was laying down taking a nap and I guess my coach was trying to get a, head of, like a, a hold of me and couldn't, so she came to my room. And so I wake up with my roommate answering the door, my coach, a police officer, and a strange lady I didn't know walk into the room. I was like, my first thought, I'm getting kicked out of school. I don't even know what I did, but I'm out of school. 
And yeah. then uh, my coach was like, you, re- you really need to call your mom right now. And I was like, well, I tried to call my dad earlier, trying to, like, avoid the subject. And uh, she was like, no, you need to call your mom. I was like, all right. So I called my mom, like, trying to be all sly, like, hey, ma, what's up? Like, Just a regular call. Cause I, <laughs> yeah, and uh, all she says is, dad's gone. Yeah. And I broke down. I fell to the ground, screaming, crying, just like a movie scene. Um, and so he had just, he was about to turn 41. And so my coach ended up driving me four hours home to my, um, my cousins met us there and they finished the drive. And then I stayed in my grandparents' house with my mom for a month while we were under investigation and everything. Um, and so my freshman year started off with that. That sounds and, really, really hard. Yeah. And so I was set back by that. And then I got a concussion later that year. And then that summer is when I got diagnosed with EDS. And After then, your first year, right. And then the winter I had the first surgery. And then I got diagnosed with POTS. Mm-hmm. Um, that next summer I had the second surgery. Okay. So you have had both also. Yeah. Yep. And then, so then I was starting my junior year. And everything was going really well about second semester hit and I started not to be able to walk again. There was a lot of pain in my left leg and we met with the doctors and they were like, oh, well, we really doubt it's like rejecting the hardware. It's titanium. Like it's a very rare part to be rejected. I was like, okay. And I kept trying to push through. I ended up going back on crutches because I, I like couldn't walk. I was crying just taking steps around my dorm room mm-hmm. and um, I ended up having surgery last summer to remove the hardware and they said there was visible signs of rejection Mm -hmm. and so after that like I was walking it was amazing um so that's been the three years of my high school career yeah and so then it's really frustrating when like it's all these big events that I've powered through but then there's these small events that they just keep throwing at me and I'm like look I have enough going on on the side can we just like I don't even care if I have, like, a 2-0. Just give me a D and let me pass. And, and it's not like I'm not doing the work. I'm just not right. doing the work on the time that they think is acceptable. Yeah. 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 It's really hard when all of these yeah. things, like, pack together, right? Which I feel like is what you're describing. And you're like, I just want a break. Like, I just want a yeah. year where everything is the way that it seems to be for everybody else where like it just works yeah yeah and that's like and so then when I had the you know you're not graduating this year I was like well all right because like you know me and my boyfriend have been together it'll be three years on the 10th Mm -hmm. Uh, and he gets to graduate this year which is great for him that's really exciting but like if he doesn't end up around Marietta like I don't know what I'm gonna do right right it totally changes and also like your relationship but your support system as well exactly yeah um um, I'm trying to open this business and like we have a business competition which is really exciting we can end up earn up to ten thousand dollars to help start our business but we have to stay in Marietta Mm -hmm. and so like I'm competing um in hopes that we could stay in Marietta, we both love Marietta, but if he doesn't get a job in Marietta, there's no way I can support myself just with my health and trying to open my own business and everything. So, like, just say I won, I would have to end up turning down the money, which is just another, like, 
oh, it could have been kind of thing. Yeah, like this stuff keeps getting in the way of stuff that I know that I want to do and can do, but like with support. It's okay to need support. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I guess it's one of those things that you just have to wait and see what happens this year, but like you're waiting and seeing a lot probably, and that is super aggravating. Yeah, and I remember like, being with my counselor and like like you gotta learn to like accept the things you can't control and and do things about the things you can control and I'm like I get that but 95% of my life is stuff I can't control right now which just gets me frustrated about how little control I have yeah yeah and like for me at least one of the things that can be really hard is you're like okay I get it like I get that one I'm allowed to be angry and I am allowed to grieve about one, losses, like real losses, and two, like the loss of the functional body that I thought that I would have. Like, exactly. Like, on the one hand, it's totally okay to have all of those feelings about that. But on the other hand, like, you can't have those feelings all the time because, like, you have to learn to process them. But, like, then you get mad that you're like, why am I looking around at all these other people who haven't even had to deal with any of this shit yet? Like, Exactly. Like losing a parent is really fucking hard, chronic illness aside. And when you are in college, I know that you know this, so I'm sorry for ranting at you about it, but like I feel strongly about this. Like people in most people in that age group have never experienced anything like it and they do not know at all how to even like yeah. fucking and respond. Like, and it's the same it, with bodies failing. Yeah, it's so frustrating because like, you know, when I was learning to grieve, I I like to talk about stuff a lot. That's just like who I am and people you could see were visibly uncomfortable with it. So they just stopped like coming around and I was like, that's not what I need in this moment. I need you to be here. I don't expect you to say anything. I don't expect you to get it. I just expect you to listen. Yeah, you don't have to know what to say. That's okay. And like, I remember... um, you know, I trained Zoe myself. She's a rescue dog. And a lot of people think I got her just and labeled her a service dog because I wanted a dog. And I'm like, no, that's not what it is. Like, do you know how hard it is to admit as a 20-year-old, I need help. I need help on a daily basis. Yeah. And so I got her. And she goes to work with me all the time. She works at the basketball games. Um, and then you've been to basketball games. They're blaring, people screaming. She falls asleep. Yeah. She falls asleep. She wakes up to alert. She goes back to sleep. Um, but I have an individual who I've had a hard time with before, but like I give everyone the benefit of the doubt with every single interaction. And so at halftime, she was alerting. So she got up and did deep pressure therapy, like she's supposed to do, but she's a 65 pound dog. She's not very little, but that's kind of what I need. And, uh, the person back and we're pretty crowded at the table. Like I admit it, but like, We've always been crowded at the table. But I was shoulder to shoulder with the person on my left. She was on my right. There was a good foot and a half of room between us. And she goes, um, the dog or the bag is going to have to move. And I was like, first off, the bag isn't mine. You can move it. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, and second off, the dog is my service dog, and she cannot move. She's tasking at the moment. And she laughed. And she goes, that's a joke, and walked away. You're like, cool, thanks for your informed opinion. Glad that I yeah. had you here to share it with me. And I had a question. I'm, I'm training a diabetic alert dog on campus right now. My boyfriend, so that's convenient. But yeah. um, 
she we got her at three months old, so she's very much a puppy. But I don't know if you know, seventy percent of service dogs that go into training do not pass. Okay, they'll actually fail out. So that's a pretty high fail rate. Yeah. Um, so one of the main reasons they end up failing is because they just get so frustrated with not understanding what we're asking of them, and then we get frustrated, and it's just this big cycle. Mm-hmm. And so they end up just stop trying because they're like, I'm failing anyways. I might as well not. Yeah, like none of it um, makes sense. So one of yeah, so one of the things we do to kind of help combat that is called play to or yeah, play to eat, and like they work for everything they do. So um, we have like a ball that has holes in it that you put their food in. And when they bat it around or, like, throw it, uh, food comes out. But not every time does the food come out. So it gets them used to failure, but it also gets them working for everyday things. Okay. And so I was doing this in the hallway with the puppy, and our RA came up. She picked up the ball, poured the food out, and handed it to the dog. You were like, and hello. I was, I was like, okay, maybe she doesn't understand. Like I said, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And I just explained everything. I just like said to you and she goes i really doubt that that much goes into it okay like i was like you're right they cost twenty thousand dollars because that you could just pick them up off the street like what like i don't don't even know how to respond to people sometimes yeah and the same is which you know it's frustrating when you have a bad relationship with your ra because you have to deal with them right uh I had Zoe out at work one day, and Zoe has a release command, like, when I'm not worried about, like, me dropping or anything, even though I know she will still alert on her release command, but she has a release command where she can go greet people. Yeah. She's still on everything. It's very controlled. But, so, I was in the mail room, because I'm getting a job in the mail room, and students were coming up, teachers were coming up to, like, get their packages, and I was allowing Zoe to go greet them. And so, of course, my RA came up. And I released Zoe to kind of, like, go um, greet her. And she goes, Zoe, stop. You're working. I'm not allowed to talk to you. And I was like, actually, like, I, I gave her the command. It's my decision whether or not she, like, approaches people. And she goes, I wasn't talking to you. I was like, but you were talking to my dog. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, obviously making a statement about me. Like, wait. And, like, my thing was if she had been, like, oh, I'm not allowed to pet you, that would have been different. But, no, she, like, made it like Zoe had done something wrong. And I was, like, no, actually, she was given a command to, like, be allowed to come see you. Yeah, to be friendly. And, like, in theory, it's good if you recognize that, like, when you see a service dog, you should not go and, like, get down on your knees and try to cuddle with them. Like, that's not an appropriate response to a service dog. But also, like, confusing them isn't, like, either. Right. And I'm like, and once again, like, if you're worried about distracting her, you talking to her like that is very confusing and like distracting. Yeah. You could talk to um, me and just be like, hey, is this OK? I thought that she couldn't come and talk to me. And then you would just right. answer I have like that, a person. I have that all the time. People are like, oh, are we allowed to pet? I'm like, with her, I have no problem. Um, but I do suggest with other teams, you either ask or like we have patches on our dogs a lot. Read those. If they say do not pet, don't ask. Yeah. It gets frustrating. And so, like, I take time to, like, educate people. Yeah. Um, I was at church one day, and, like, church, you shouldn't even be talking in the first place. It's church. It's yeah. math. Like, you don't need to. <laughs> and so I was a row ahead of this lady. I'm like, okay, like, whatever. And I could tell she was like, oh, dog. And I was like, yeah, I have a dog thing. And uh, 
So I'm like giving her commands and stuff, like having her sit, have her tuck under the pew. And uh, this lady is sitting back there. Oh, I know I can't talk to her. I'm like, okay, good. Leave her alone. Cool. And uh, and I'm like trying to like, you know, focus. Like this is mass. Like I'm here for a reason. And uh, then I keep hearing her go. And I'm like, just ignore. Like I gave Zoe the focus command. She focused on me. And I was like, so making it very obvious, I did not want Zoe looking at her. And she keeps doing it. She starts giving kissing noises. Well, then Zoe starts alerting that I'm about to pass out, which is pretty common in church because, like, I don't stand for very long before passing out. So she gives the alert, and I was like, okay, okay. I'm waiting for a good time to walk out because I hate walking out in the middle of, like, yeah. a reading. And so I walk out, not two minutes pass by, and this lady follows me out. Cool, like, cool. All right, whatever. So I'm sitting on the ground with Zoe on top of me doing deep pressure therapy. And she goes, I could tell you were about to pass out. And I was like, she's like, I'm a registered nurse. And I was like, oh, so distracting my service dog felt like the right reaction to me about to pass out. Yeah. And first off, you were behind me. How the hell did you know I was about to pass out? Like, yeah. And she, Do you want me to stay with you? And I'm like, no, no, not really. <laughs> You're like, this is I'm normal. Good. Yeah. I don't know you. Like, and. So it was just like one of those things. Like I don't normally have a lot of problems. I don't really mind if people ask questions. So right, right. Where's the logic in this interaction at all? Yeah, yeah. There are just moments where you're like, I would just like a lot of handouts to give to people, like pamphlets to just be like, read this. Don't talk to me until you have, and like internalize it. Thank you. It's, it's so funny because like I've actually had service dog teams. A lot of people come and they're just like, hey, like. I, I don't know what to do in this situation. Do you have any suggestions? And a lot of psychiatric teams have a really hard time with how much attention they get as a team. Mm-hmm. They don't like people come asking questions. It like induces their anxiety, their PTSD, whatever. And I said, you can make pamphlets or little cards that say, um, hi, my mom gets anxious with meeting new people. Here's some information about our team. If you have any questions, you can contact us at and like list their social media. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times they have as many problems over the screen versus like face to face. Right. And everyone's like, that's such a great idea. And then I had a team who did that, like I like I had suggested, and they were like, another team just attacked me for having an ID. And I was like, you don't have an ID, it's handmade because service dogs actually have zero registration or ID. It's actually like not right. a thing. Right. And it's like, isn't there something about there's like some fraudulent stuff around it, which is also why it yeah. would be controversial. Okay, yeah. And so the team, like, attacked this other team, which I hate. Half the community is super supportive, and half of them are extremely judgmental. And so I reached out to this other team, and I was like, hey, um, you know, yes, IDs are not legit, but that doesn't mean someone can't carry information about their team. Right. Um, it's not illegal to have an identification. Just like vests aren't required for a service dog, but that doesn't make us illegal for using them. It's like, we don't give each other a hard time about the vest, so don't give each other a hard time about an ID or a pamphlet. And they were like, no, well, it just gives us other teams a harder time, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, if you would just take a few seconds to educate people and just say, like, hey, it's not required. Some people carry on, blah, blah, blah. I was like, it's, it's not that difficult. And they were like, so then they just started attacking me. And they were like, well, I can tell you're a fake. And I was like, okay. Cool. Um, Thanks. They were like, your vest is very generalized. My daughter made a good point the other day that when people are in it for the long run and they're serious, like they're seriously sick, 
they have customized stuff, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know, um, maybe you shouldn't teach daughter to judge on appearance. Um, a lot of us can't actually afford custom gear because we're too busy paying our medical bills. Yeah, and because it's nutty expensive, <laughs> isn't it? Like, Yeah, no, I got a new setup for her because I, I obviously want a custom setup because they're custom for a reason. Yeah. But it took me a year of saving to get, because it was ended up being like $80. Yeah, just like not your first priority when you have regular ER visits and like surgery and recovery and like your own mobility aids. like And like college and like yeah yeah yeah, right in college and they're just like oh don't tell me how to raise my daughter and i'm like don't tell your daughter it's okay to judge people (laughs) like yeah the like gatekeeping culture in disability chronic illness and then service dogs in general is so i'm i mean i'm sure you must see it more on instagram too because it definitely like instagram feeds it in a way which isn't a problem with instagram but just like the way that it's set up yeah, and we've had like a lot of issues where like we've reported people for doing such things, and parents like we don't see it, yeah, buzzing out, and we're like, okay, when you have eight people reporting the same thing, like, yeah, you see, there's an issue, but yeah, and it's so frustrating because like we have the same thing with our school, like we have teachers who are like, uh, I don't know, and I'm like, you can't actually say no to me. I'm bringing my dog. I was just asking out of politeness. Yeah, I'm yeah. warning you. Yeah. Yeah, but I do remember it was like the second class I brought Philly to. I emailed all my professors. I was so prepared. I was like, "Hey, just a heads up, there might be a service dog in here. Like, ARC knows about it." Blah blah blah. And I show up, and my professor goes, "I'm like, I emailed him." Yeah. Well, actually, I walk in. I was like, "That's not the professor I emailed." And I was like, "Oh shit!" And so he's like. I like met with him after. I'm like, I'm really sorry. I emailed him to everyone in advance. I like, I don't know what happened. Like yeah. my schedule just said the wrong person. And he was like, I was like confused because the dog walked in, but then I saw she was obviously a service dog. And I was like, all right, she's here to do her job. And they ignored her. I was like, well, that's the right response. Yeah, Thank that's you. Great. Like, sure. If someone brings in just like a hyperactive puppy that is like jumping all over everybody and barking, you'd be like, this is a weird thing to bring to a class. But if someone brings yeah. in a like, quiet dog that just lies down and like looks at the person they're with you'd be like okay there's probably something else going on here like yeah it was so funny because like i said i'm training that puppy this year and so many people are like why didn't you bring the puppy and i'm like so many reasons first off it's not for me yeah i'm not diabetic so her being in class with me would not be useful for anybody and second off four months old and not potty trained yeah she's not ready (laughs) for that kind of pressure i'm like taking her to hours of class yes yes that seems legit and like she's so cute i'm like that doesn't matter (laughs) that's not what's happening here yeah god i feel like there's probably like so many more things to be said about service dogs but yes what a world um okay we are at right about an hour so i want to get into the like whatever else we want to talk about phase of things yeah it's the exciting part um it's not really exciting but mostly like I feel like we've covered the chronological and then a lot of the details around both like being in an institution, which I'm super fired up about and now probably want to read even more about after talking to you because I haven't talked to anybody who is currently in school yet. Um, And also about service dogs, which like is awesome. And if you want to talk more about what you're doing or maybe even when you know more, because we can like I'll 
I'll link to your stuff and stuff. Um, but is there anything else that we haven't covered yet that you feel like is also an important part of this or like that's come up while we've been talking? It's okay if the answer is no. I mean, I can discuss some of the doctor's things I've run into. Like sure. I know we, um, so like I said, I have very regular ER visits. Um, but I actually went, I've gone twice for this now. I have a chest pain that happens when I'm breathing at random. Mm-hmm. Very scary. Mm-hmm. Um, like it hurts to breathe. Yeah. And so I went in one time and they were like, they ran all these tests and they're like, there's nothing we can do for you. Go home. And I looked up at my monitor and my breath per minute was two. Hmm. And then my boyfriend was like, um, what? Like, no, you can't release her when she's breathing twice per minute. And they were like, come back if it happens again. And my boyfriend's like, it's still happening. It's happening right now. Do you want us to walk to the parking lot and then back in? I'm confused. Yeah. And so we ended up, whatever, like they're not going to do anything for us. But it's gotten to the point that that's happened so many times with different things. Like um, I've gone in with pain and they're like, well, we can't find anything wrong. Go home. Mm-hmm. That when I had you, I was literally sobbing on my bed. And my boyfriend's like, we got to go to the ER. Something's not okay. But and I was like, I don't want to. They won't do it. Yeah. And it was in like, well, I don't know what else to do. I can't do anything for you. So like, we're going to take you anyways. And I was like, okay. Like, but I'm like, the entire time, I'm like, it's just a waste of money. It's a waste of time. And um, like, luckily, they actually did something for it that time. But they ended up putting me on a medication that lowers my blood pressure, which with POTS, I can't have. No, so, that's not good. The next three days, I couldn't sit up in bed without passing out, no mm-hmm. let alone stand. And so I got to urology, and I was like, listen, like, I know, like, kidney stones can be intense, like, but, like, something's not okay. Like, I can't stand up. And she was like, you can't be on that medication. Yeah. Like, well, thanks for you finding it, because it's not, like, when they give it to you at the ER, they give it in a little baggie. It doesn't have any side effects or anything. They're just like, here, take this. Like, right. Okay. Right. Um, but yeah, it was just so like they've always asked like, what are your pre-existing conditions? And the one time I said I have EDS, it's a connective tissue disorder because I know we're a small town. People probably haven't heard of it. And they were like, well, what's that have to do with anything? And I was like, connective tissue is literally everywhere in your body. What do you mean? What does it have to do with anything? Yeah, it has to do with everything that happens in my body. <laughs> yeah, it was like um, a lot. Like, I don't know what you want me to say to you. And so, like, when they messed up with the POTS thing, like I had mentioned, I had POTS, and they still gave that to me. It's, like, it's so frustrating because you're, like, what if they end up giving me something that puts me at risk? Like, I was at serious risk when I was passing out every day. Yeah. Like, I ended up going for health and wellness, and I was, like, listen, like, something's not right. I need an IV. And they were, like, well, your vitals are normal. We can't give you an IV. And I was, like, it's not morphine. I'm asking for you to put saline solution in my body. You're yeah. right. It's very risky. And I was like, not really. Just give me this IV. And they're like, well, your vitals are normal. I said, my heartbeat is 98 when I'm laying down. That's not normal. Yeah. I said, what's yeah. happening? Blood pressure is fine, but my blood volume is too low. And they're like, well, we can't. So they refused to give me an IV. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, so like I don't now, have a lot of options here. Yeah. So now I've been discussing like with all of my doctors back here. I'm like, is there anything I can do to like 
get a note from you, something that says, like, if I come in and ask for an IV, they'll give it to me. And they're, like, having a hard time. They're like, uh, not really. And I'm like, okay, but, like, I don't want to go to the ER because the ER is going to do the same thing. Like, yeah. So. It's like having people that aren't informed or don't recognize things. The ER thing, I think, is really interesting of being, like, because I think a lot of people with chronic pain in, like, a variety of reigns went into this. We were like, I'm not obsessed with getting pain medication in and of itself which is what the er stigma is that's so hard to fight but like i would like to not be in pain anymore and or i would like to tell you what is causing my i would like you to tell me what is causing my pain like that's not an unreasonable thing to be looking for and then they're like well your tests are normal so go home you're like this hasn't solved anything what do you want me to do I had one, like, actual doctor who, like, sat down with me, and he's like, I'm so sorry, because I was, like, screaming pain, and, like, I was sure, I don't think you understand, like, I handle pain very well, like, I've had my femur interview broken in both legs and not had this much pain. Yeah. He's like, no, like, I can really tell, and I'm just, like, really sorry, it's our policy that, like, if it's not life-threatening, we send you home so we can open up a bed, and I'm like, okay, at least someone, like, apologized, like, at least you were, like, realized human being, and that's, I don't know if, um, are you involved with the Weeby Warriors at all? I'm not. I know about them a little bit, but I've not, like, barely scratched the surface. Yeah, so I actually just got, like, invited to be a member, which I'm hoping when I get back on campus, like, the packet will be there and everything. But they're very much trying to make healthcare human care. Yeah. Because it's we're not numbers. We're not just uh, symptoms on a piece of paper. We are humans, and, like, we want it to be treated that way. So they're doing, they're just like, they're getting our stories out there just like you um, and just like trying to get uh, stuff changed. But they have like segments called What the Fuck Doctor. Yeah. So it's like, What the Fuck Doc? Like, and so it's just all these stories of like, what, what were you thinking in this situation? So they're pretty cool. Um, and I'm hoping they'll learn more once I get the packet and actually yeah. get involved. They yeah. have different pods like for those with EDS, those with diabetes, those with undiagnosed know something's wrong so it's pretty cool Mm -hmm. yeah yeah like there's just so much there's so many arms to what can be done to make people's lives better in terms of like intervening with the medical system like on the insurance side and also on the doctor awareness side to like remind doctors that they could have empathy and then also like friends and family and telling them like hey chronic illness is different than what you think here are some ways that you could be better about it like yeah and like I think there's just like like you said it's just so much to it and like that you mentioned insurance service dogs aren't covered under insurance at all mm-hmm. so families are paying the twenty thousand dollars out of their pocket because they're they're considered an option yeah so um so like say someone with diabetes well they have the option of just having the cgm and all this other stuff but like that doesn't work for everybody they there's not just one option for everybody and Service dogs are normally a last resort. So when someone's asking for them, it's normally pretty drastic that they're going to need them. Mm-hmm. So it can get really frustrating because I've met with so many families that are like my like my daughter or my son could really use this service dog. This is what they're going through. And I say, okay, I'll write up a what tasks I could help you with and how I could train them. And then like I'll give you an estimated cost. And I actually offer like a lot of different programs where – I can do like assisted owner training where they can just like Skype me and tell me like, okay, this is the problem we're having, or this is where we're at. What's our next step? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do partial training where they do the basic obedience at their house and then they send the dog to me 
so that they're not paying for the entire two years. It's like a yeah. little less. So it's just like ways yeah. I can help them. We can get rescue dogs. We can get um, like we don't have to go to the three thousand dollar breeder. Right. Um, and or they can send it to me. But there's so many people. I still give them those options, and they're like, I just can't afford it. I yeah. can't do it. We're paying for surgeries. We're paying for ports. We're paying for liquids every day. And I'm like, I get it. And that's what I'm really hoping to bring to the service dog community and like the service dog training community specifically is that you look at a lot of these programs and their head trainers don't have a disability. Mm-hmm. They don't understand the need. The absolute, like, it's not like I want a service dog. It's, I need a service dog to survive. And I feel like I get to bring this, like, unique perspective of, like, I've been where you are. I know that you're in this dark place, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And, like, we'll get you there together. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that can make a little bit of a difference. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important, like, having people involved who understand, like, what the value is. That was very yeah. removed language. But, you know, yeah. You know yeah, about it in a way that not, a lot of people don't. It's just a job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like it will be a very good thing, even if it takes you a while to get the details ironed out on your campus for now. But you have your whole life also post-campus, too. That part is great. Um, Thank you for talking to me. I so appreciate getting to talk to people about all of this stuff. It's like... We're all going through these things that are like overlapping. So everyone's story is so different, but also some of the elements are so similar. And like, I really, really appreciate being shared with because I know that it's like showing up to a Skype call with a stranger, an <laughs> unshowered stranger today. Um, <laughs> I'm unshowered too. Don't let me fool you. Thank you for listening to episode 15 of No End in Sight. In the next episode, I'll be talking to a woman who lived with undiagnosed Crohn's disease well into her 30s and is still trying to nail down a treatment protocol that works for her body. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts to find out when new episodes are released. I finally made a dedicated Instagram account for the show if you want to give it a follow. Right now, I'm posting about all of our back episodes with notable quotes and other details, and I'm sure it will grow and evolve as I get caught up. You can find it at no end insight pod with uh, periods where the spaces should be. And don't forget that I have a small Facebook group called Chronic Hustlers for people living with chronic conditions who are self-employed. It's pretty small right now, but I'd love it to become a place where we share resources about building a business while prioritizing our health. And finally, this podcast is supported by my cross-stitch company, Digital Artisanal. When I'm up for it, I make simple modern patterns that you'll actually want to hang in your home. I love to cross-stitch as a way to feel productive during flares when I'm stranded in front of the television. I am slowly working on my winter patterns, and I'd love it if you checked us out at digitalartisanal.com. Thanks for listening.